Paul's MO was this. Everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. Paul was an apostle and he had extreme liberty. He was forgiven of so much, as you know. He murdered Christians. He persecuted them. He put them in jail. And he was forgiven of so much. And his MO was that I am going to do everything in my power because I have been forgiven of so much that I am going to spread the gospel to the world. And he was willing to put aside his own liberty to do that. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put aside your own will for the sake of the gospel? The Christian life is to glorify God. Period. We were created to give glory to God and enjoy Him forever. Even the heavens declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. There are only two things a believer can do with his life, or a man or a woman can do with their life. They can either be glorifying to God, or they can be a reproach to God. The unbeliever lives a continual life that is a reproach to God. It's very sad. They ignore God. They dishonor God. And I made this word up myself. They unglorify God. That's not English, by the way. The goal of the believer, the goal, remember, we want to attain to this, is to glorify God. Sometimes, though, we're a reproach to God, right? I'm the chief one there, the biggest. You know why I've got more sin in my life than you? Because I've been a believer longer than any of you in this room, and I've had more years on this earth to rack up some sins. So I know that I have been a reproach to God as a believer. My goal is to glorify him, but I sadly fall short. So later in the text, we'll identify four things that you can do to glorify God. But we need to understand why giving God glory is such a big deal. We go to the next slide, which is Ezekiel 36. So this is the story of the scattering of Israel and the reason why God scattered them. And at the end of it, you'll see a prophecy that I believe is coming to fruition today, which is the gathering of Israel back to himself. So let's read the text. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. That's some pretty strong words. The reason I chose this passage is because this describes what the church in Corinth was doing when Paul addressed them also. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. The church in Corinth was like the Las Vegas of today. It was full of idolatry, full of idol worship. Also I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they come out of his land. 
but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. This was God's chosen people, and yet they did not give glory to God's holy name, and God is concerned about that. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. So why did God scatter them? Well, they dishonored God. And he mentions in there, it is for the sake of my holy name that I kicked you out of Israel and I dispersed you. But remember, God's rich in grace and mercy. And whenever we act that way, God's holy name is dishonored. But when we repent and we come back to him, his holy name is elevated and revered and it's glorified. So you see God's holy name here. He's not concerned with the sin of Israel. He's not concerned with Israel being a great nation. He's not concerned with Israel's feelings. He's not concerned with their well-being. It is my holy name. I am concerned about my holy name is what the word says. So whenever we sin or we do anything to dishonor God, yeah, we, we should be convicted, but it's his name that's tarnished. God's name is so holy that he has concern for it. He restores it, not for their good, but so that his holy name is honored. God restores them to the land and God is honored, verse 24. And I see that happening today over in Israel. How many of you have ever speak, spoken with an unbeliever and they ask you the question, if God is so great, then why does fill in the blank? Yep. It's usually sin, right? When man sins... When the unbelieving world sins, who gets the blame? Anybody want to shout out who gets the blame? God. Why does God get the blame? God allows it to happen because we have free will to sin. Right? God must punish, punish sin because he's a just judge. But he's also rich in grace and mercy and forgiveness. The unbeliever, they blame God for the bad things going on in the world. And they shouldn't. They use it as an excuse not to believe in him. They use it as an excuse not to acknowledge him and they use it as an excuse not to trust him. God's not to blame for the sins of the world. Man is to blame for the sins of the world. 
So as a church, <clears throat> a body of believers, we should do everything we can to honor the name of God. If we do that, the unbeliever has no recourse to say, look at the Christian over there, the man that's supposed to honor God, and look at how he defames the name of God. Look at how he sins and then calls on this so-called God. Now remember, we do have Christian liberty, and that's what we're going to get to next. But I wanted to go over with you about the holiness of God and his name so that when you read that verse 31, it's serious enough for you to say, is what I'm about to do honoring to God or is it dishonoring to God? Even the act of loving fellow brothers. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That honors God when we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we honor God with the unbeliever, we may just be the light that leads to them being introduced to the Savior, who's our Lord Jesus Christ. There are plenty of other examples in the Old Testament about giving glory to God. I chose Ezekiel 36 as a story on why. And we know it's really bad to dishonor God. And now we know why, because he is concerned about his holy name. Next slide, please. So back to the text. So there are four principles that we need to understand. You can write them down if you want to. I'm going to talk quickly because I only have three hours left. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. See, when I say that to the guys in the morning, some of them have to get up and go to work. So I have until about 7.30 and then the food gets here and then they start getting antsy, the, na the natives do, especially the ones in the back row. So whenever I say a cracker joke like that, I just see their head shake like this. He's going to drone on and on and on. Anyway, four principles in verse 23 to 30 that we need to understand if we're to live out our Christian liberty all the time or all the while by giving glory to God. Because there are things that we can do in our liberty that do not honor God. And they're not sins. And we want to give glory to God and his holy name in everything that we do. So here they are. Number one, edification before self-gratification. Number two, others before self. Number three, liberty before legalism. All the Baptists in the room just went, yes, liberty before legalism. And the last one is condescension before condemnation. Now, those seem like two bad words, because when you're condescending towards someone, right, you're treating them as if they're lower than you. But this is the opposite of that. This is when you elevate someone else above you, thus condescending yourself. So condescension before condemnation. So look at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So that phrase, all things are lawful, is written many times in the letter to the Corinthians. 
And it seems like to me that it was like a crutch. It was a slogan that they were using. Have you ever, have you ever used the term saved by grace? When you're about to do something stupid, something not honoring to God, when you want to justify an action, you can say, hey, I'm going to do this because I've been saved by grace. All things are lawful. That was a saying that the church, the congregation in Corinth used to say when they were about to do something ridiculous. Well, all things are lawful for me. I can do this because I'm saved. I can hurt my brother's feelings because all things are lawful. It was a crutch that was used for questionable behavior. And that's one of the questions you've got tonight, is have you ever used it as a crutch? So verse 23, all things are not profit, but not all things are profitable. And then it says, but not all things edify. So is what I'm going to do, this is the first question you need to ask yourself. Number one, is it lawful? Is it a sin? If the answer is yes, don't do it. If it's lawful for you, in other words, it's not a sin, then we go to the next question. Is it profitable for me? And does it edify? Is it beneficial? Now that word edify is the word build up. The exact word is used when built to describe building up. If you have a choice between two lawful actions, one is neutral or negative and the other one is beneficial, choose the beneficial one every time. When you edify someone, you build them up. When you edify yourself, you build yourself up. Now, that doesn't mean you're bragging about yourself. There are ways that you can edify yourself without bragging, and I'll go into that in a second. When you edify the church, you build the church up. So choose edification over self-gratification. And that means don't just do what pleases you or what is beneficial. Do what builds others up. Do what builds the church up and do what builds you up spiritually. How do we know what builds us up? Well, I'm glad you asked. Substitute the word build up for spiritual growth when you're dealing with yourself. Does this give me spiritual growth? And then ask the question, how do we know what builds us up? Now, believe it or not, God didn't leave us hanging there. He actually gave us several passages about what builds us up. And that's on the next slide. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Reading the word builds you up. If you read the word of God, it builds you up. It enhances you spiritually. You all know that. I don't need to tell you that. Building the word gives you up. But growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Second Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge. Grow spiritually in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. 
preaching and teaching builds you up. If you preach the Word, you give someone the Gospel, or you teach the Word, that builds you up spiritually. Now, I use the example in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, prophecy there is not telling the future. There's an S there. If, the word, if there was a C there, then that is telling the future, a prophet. Prophesy is someone who speaks the Word of God, who teaches the Word of God, right? For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands it, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, it's that word build up, and exhortation and consolation. So what he's saying here is that there was a lot of speaking in tongues in the church in Corinth. Now there's a lot of descriptions in God's Word about how that is to be done with an interpreter. But there's also a time when you speak in tongues when it's just between you and God. And there was a lot of people in the church in Corinth speaking in tongues when they shouldn't have been doing it. And what it's saying here is that you'd be better off teaching the Word of God to somebody, building them up, than just speaking in tongues. So preaching and teaching builds you up. It is better to teach than to speak in tongues without interpretation. Because when you speak in tongues without interpretation, all that does is build you up. That's bragging. Oh, look at me. I can speak in tongues to God. And you don't know what I'm saying. That's what he means here. Don't do that. Teach the word of God and it will build you up. Next slide, please. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. Remember when I said that we started back in chapter 8 when I was teaching this? And that's when we started talking about living in Christian liberty. Well, look at the first verse in chapter 8. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes you arrogant, but love edifies. So if you just have a bunch of knowledge in there, and you start spouting out about your Christianese and your Bible knowledge and how great you are, that doesn't build anybody up. It makes you arrogant. But love builds up. So when you show love for somebody, it builds them up, and it builds you up. Obedience builds you up. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, look at that word, to the building up of the body of Christ. So obedience builds you up. So we have a couple of questions to ask ourselves. Go to the next slide, please. Is it lawful? Yes. Check the box. Do I have the right to do it? Yes. Check the box. Is it beneficial? Yes. Does it edify and build you up? Yes. Then just do it. Isn't that a Nike slogan? The Nike swish. I prefer the Adidas three stripes. But you guys may like the Nike Swish. I personally don't like the Nike Swish. As you can see, I'm wearing Adidas shoes 
or is it Adidas? I don't know quite how you guys pronounce it, but anyway, just do it. And then I put some words in there, except. So there's more, right? We, we know in verse 23, does it edify and build you up? Yes. But there's other things in there that we have to be concerned with. And the other one is others over self. So if it builds you up and it edifies you, but it doesn't build your brother up, there's a problem. We checked all the boxes. It's lawful, it's beneficial, it, I have the right to do it, and it edifies. But the next question is, does it build up my brother? And if the answer to that is no, then you have to sacrifice your liberty because you're free to do this. You have to sacrifice your liberty and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, I don't know what parkour is. I have no idea. Anybody here tell me what parkour is? Parkour. Something, what's parkour? Okay, all right. So my daughter showed me a video of parkour. And I'm like, that's crazy. And she said to me, this is what edifying yourself is, but having a weaker brother is like. If you're 25 years old and you can do all these parkour and he's jumping around and all that, and you've got a 12-year-old brother, would you encourage him to do the parkour with you? Yes? yes? Who said yes? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> I knew there was going to be one. I'm just glad it was you. You wouldn't, right? Because it's dangerous for him. He's a weaker brother, so you wouldn't put him in that situation of training for parkour. Make him stronger. What, at 11? <laughs> Remind me never, ever, ever to allow you around my grandchildren when they're older. <laughs> That's the best I could come up with was parkour. Okay? If he's weaker and he cannot handle what it is that you're doing or saying or about to do, then don't do it because it doesn't edify him. Now, what you're doing there is showing a love principle. Others before self. You're putting aside your liberty for their benefit. Now, the great thing about that is it's a win-win situation. Because what does love do? Anybody want to guess what love does? Come on, we just went over it. What does love do? It edifies and builds you up, right? So it's a win-win situation, right? So you're edified because you want to do this and it's beneficial to you, but you're also edified because you put aside your Christian liberty and show love for your brother or sister. When you edify them, it builds you up because you're showing love for them. So there's a question there for you on the sheet. This is a hard one because I asked this to the men in my group who were all in their 70s. Yes, I'm the youngest there just in case you were wondering. And I asked them this question, and I have to honestly say to you today as my witness that I struggle with this. Is there any liberty that you have given up for the love of a weaker brother? I struggle with that. I do. Because we're selfish. We want to do what builds us up. We want to say the truth. 
we don't take our brothers con or sisters' feelings into consideration or that they may be weaker than us. Verse 25 through 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. What does that mean? Liberty over legalism. Remember, there was a lot of food being sacrificed to idols in Corinth. And what they were doing is they were sacrificing the food in the temple to idols, false gods. And then what wasn't eaten in the temple, they were then selling it into the marketplace to the believers. Now, you had a choice. Eat the food or starve. So what Paul's saying here is, if you're invited for a meal with an unbeliever, don't ask them if the food has been sacrificed to idols. Don't worry about it. Liberty over legalism. Legalism says you're not supposed to eat food sacrificed to idols, but for your conscience' sake, don't ask needless questions. You don't need to have a Spanish Inquisition over everything that is presented to you. If we did that, you would never shop at any mall in Pinellas County because odds are that there's something biblically immoral that happened during the making of that product before you got to it. So don't ask. I see all these boycotts, right? Boycott this store and boycott that store because they're doing this, that and the other. And I'm like, if I went ahead and found out every store in the country that was doing something immoral, I'd have to live on an island and eat coconuts for the rest of my life. <laughs> and be naked. And that's a scary thought. Trust me. So we, we could find a biblical reason not to buy anything. We really could. And what Paul's saying is here, don't do that. You don't have to. You don't have to ask everybody, you know, this hamburger that you served me today, um, I need to know where you got that meat from. And I need to know whether it was killed kosher. Because if it isn't, I'm not eating it. No, we don't do that. We don't do that at all. So enjoy your liberty with thanksgiving. It says here, Go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions. Jesus came so that you could have freedom from the law, set free by the, the restrictions of the law, the consequences of the law. You can live in that liberty and freedom in the gray areas without worrying about it. The unbeliever asks you around for dinner. Don't offend them. Don't ask them what's being put forward. Eat it with thanksgiving. The passage says here, Ah, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's like the vision that Peter had, right? With the food coming down and it was all unclean. And God said to him, don't make unclean what I've made clean. Have you ever received a gift from somebody? Money. Let me ask you something. When you're receiving cold, hard cash, 
Do you ask the person, where did you get that money from? Yeah. Alessandra was like, <laughs> heck no. Give me the moolah. Right? Yeah, we don't, we don't do that. We don't ask where the money comes from. We accept it with thanksgiving. I'm sure that on any given Sunday here in this church, there is questionable money put into the offering plate. And I have, I've been on the finance committee at this church, and not once did we ever ask somebody about the source of their income. We accepted it with thanksgiving, and then we used it to further God's work. Now, on a side note here, eating meals. We are to go eat with unbelievers. If they ask you to go out to dinner, go out to dinner with them. You may be that one person that can reach them for Christ. It is ironic, though, that there is only one person we are forbidden to eat with. Next slide, please. Remember, we were in the book of 1 Corinthians where they were doing some pretty bad things. There was a lot of sin going on and there was people being put out of the church. And Paul addresses this and he says, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So the only person we're not to have a meal with is an unrepentant sinner. Am I getting wrapped up in a cord here? Wow, that's been on a long time because that was on when I tried to figure out how to work that microphone back there. Is it off? Okay. Hey guys, you should be happy. We're 30 minutes in. We've only got two and a half hours left. <laughs> so the only person we're not to eat with is an unrepentant sinner. That's the only where, place where God tells us not to associate with somebody. That's just extra. That's not part of the message today. That was for the peanut gallery in the back when I was talking to them because they were giving me a hard time about whatever. Christians living in unrepentant sin. Next slide, please. So in other words, don't offend the unbeliever when they invite you to dinner by telling them, I'm not eating that food because you bought it from the t after it had been sacrificed to idols in the temple. Don't do it. Now then. Condescension over condemnation. I already explained to you what that word condescension means. And it means... It's the opposite of me elevating myself above you. I'm going to make myself lower than you. In other words, I'm going to put you above me. So here's the scenario, right? Alessandro and I go out for coffee, right? We're having a great time. We're fellowshipping. And an unbelieving friend of ours comes over and says, hey, I'm having some burgers at my place later on today. Would you guys like to join me? And I go, yeah, sure. And Alessandra goes, yeah, I'm up for some hamburgers. No problem. So we go there, right? It's an unbeliever. We're having fun. We are we're giving God glory. We're praising him. Thanksgiving. We're having a great time. We even think, oh, we can give this person the gospel. And we walk through there, and it's my favorite. It's hamburgers with barbecue sauce, onions, and my favorite condiment, bacon. 
So I'm about to tuck in. And Alessandro turns around to me and goes, I go, what? She goes, I saw them sacrificing that bacon to a false god. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why do you have to tell me that? Why? I'm looking forward to this. I haven't eaten all day and I'm looking forward to this bacon. What do I do? Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, (laughs) don't eat it. And I'm like, Alessandro, why did you have to open? Why couldn't you keep quiet? In fact, leave. Go, leave now. I want to eat the hamburger, right? And she's like, no, sorry, we can't eat it. And I have to agree with her. Now, I'm offending my hosts now. Because now I'm going to tell them, (laughs) I can't eat this bacon because you slaughtered a pig to the spaghetti flying monster god. Right? I can't eat it. Alessandro saw you chanting over it. Right? So, what do you do? You have to offend your host. This is the one time when we have to be in unison with our fellow believer. We have to show unity at the risk of offending our host. Which sucks because I really love bacon on my hamburger. So we don't want to offend the host, but we also don't want to offend our Christian brother or sister. So we have to choose not to offend our Christian brother and sister because if, if Alessandro has a conviction that this food has been sacrificed to idols and I'm there with Thanksgiving eating this food, she's there all the while going, I can't believe he's eating that food after I told him it was, a, it was sacrificed to idols and now I'm offended. Condemnation. We don't want to do that. So we prove to the world our love for our fellow brother and sister by being in unison with them. And who knows? The unbeliever might turn around and say, wow, these two Christians love each other enough to be unified. It's the passage that we saw earlier. They will know you're my disciples by your love for your brother. So there's the, there's the four things, right? The four scenes. Is it lawful? Yes. Check the box. Does it edify or build me up? Yes. Check the box. Does it offend my weaker brother? No. Check the box. Does it offend my host? No. Check the box. Does it offend my brother or sister? No, it doesn't. Check the box. The gray area is satisfied now. Go ahead and do it. You have liberty to do those things. But if any one of those answers is no and it causes you to stumble or causes your brother to stumble or, or offends your unbelieving host, then don't do it. And if you ask yourself those questions each time you're about to do something and you get to the end of it and everything's great, you have Christian liberty to be able to do those things. Edification, others first, 
liberty over legalism and no condemnation. Four principles that you can go through each time you're about to do something or say something or participate in an activity. And when you practice this, God is glorified and his holy name is glorified. Remember the first slide where we saw about he's more concerned about his holy name and he has concern for it being profaned as we saw in Ezekiel? When you do this, his holy name is glorified. And that's the purpose of living this way and, and by not abusing your Christian liberty. Because when you abuse it, God's name gets put through the mud. So verse 31 through 33, and I don't think I have a slide for this. What, what's the next slide? There you go, I did. Ha! Huh. Here's an added bonus for you. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Remember, Paul's MO is that I'll do everything for the gospel so that people can be saved. He becomes a Jew to the Jew and he becomes a Gentile to the Gentile. doesn't mean he practices unlawful sin. Paul was both a Jew and a Roman citizen. Do not offend the Jew or the Greek or the church. And lastly, do not offend the unbeliever. So no action of ours should prevent a Jewish person from coming to Christ. No action of ours should prevent a brother or sister growing spiritually. No action of ours should ever prevent us from being built up spiritually. And lastly, Paul lived this way. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now you may notice that that's the next chapter, but it really is a continuation of these verses. Remember, if you remember this one thing about the chapters and the verses in the Bible, those are not inspired. The Word of God is inspired, but the numbering system was added later to enable us to study it. So even though it says chapter 11 here, verse 1, it really is a continuation of these three verses here. So Paul lived this way, and we know that from his writings and the evidence of his life, the things he went through for the sake of the gospel, the beatings he endured at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, and the life that he gave of himself... But even he says, it's not me. Be an imitator of me only because I'm an imitator of Christ. It's Christ through Paul that enabled Paul to endure what he endured. And it's Christ through you that will give you the guidance to live out your Christian liberty so that you can live this life that Paul did and not be a stumbling block to others. This is how our Lord lived his life also. Jesus Christ lived this way in his earthly ministry. Let's bow our heads and let's dedicate this to our Lord and I'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that speaks so clearly to us, Lord.
Thank you for not leaving us hanging about the grey areas in our life. Thank you for giving us a blueprint that we can stick to and we can follow and we can know whether we can live in liberty or whether we can live in legalism. We thank you for the liberty that you give us, Lord. We thank you for the grey areas that you've given us. We thank you for your commands that speak so clearly to us. And we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the salvation that we receive through our wonderful Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Give it up for Nigel. That's fantastic. I was disappointed only a little bit when I was putting in the slides for him, and they were not in King James. So uh, just the verses and his accent. I, <laughs> no. Hi, guys. I'm super excited to be back with you. I'm sorry we were out for a little bit, but I'm not sorry because it was a really, really fun time. Um, so if you all divert your attention right back to there, not, th not to show off Jess this time, but our very good friend, Lisa Kapler. Can you guys give it up for Miss Lisa Kapler over here? So what we're going to do is we're still going to have small group time. So I still want you for the next maybe 15 minutes to really just dive into some of the questions. So if you're sitting off by yourselves over there, come join a table. If you're just two to a table, find a different table to jump in with, really get into conversation. Um, but then after that, I don't want you to leave. Listen, you guys stayed till like 10 for trivia. All right. So I'm, I'm asking you to give some time for a little bit other things because Miss Lisa really loves your guys' generation and when, where you guys are at in life, and she works with them over in Papua New Guinea. And so she's a missionary to Papua New Guinea, and she actually wants to share some of her story with you guys, and she has some stuff to give away. So there you go. It's better than trivia. You can still get stuff, and you don't have to fight with each other like we did. Um, we're, all, we're all friends here. But then at the end of that, if you're willing to stay with me even after Lisa has her time, and you guys can even go off and talk with Lisa afterwards. I'm sure she'll love to hang out with you. Um, we have to do, or not we have to do, we get to do uh, bracelets for our SENT conference this uh, coming Sunday. So we have hundreds of students getting sent out onto the mission field, and we actually are going to write their name on bracelets so that on Sunday morning, when they're being commissioned by our pastors to go out on the field, our whole church congregation is going to be able to get their name on a bracelet. And so we have it all divided by trips and everything like that. So if you're willing to help with that, thank you um, already. But what I'm going to do now is turn it over to small group time so you guys can get into small groups. So if you need to get up, go to the bathroom, stretch, eat a lot more pizza and salad, um, do all of that now. And then dive into small groups in about 15 minutes. We'll bring Lisa Kapler up here. Does that sound good? Sweet. All right. You guys are awesome. So there you go. Going to small groups. <laughs> 